I want to call your attention tonight to the book of Romans chapter 12. And um, I have, uh, have I've taught from some of these verses in recent times, taught from some of these when I was in Africa on my last trip. Uh, I used a number of these verses when I taught uh, the preacher's kids at Admit in August. And so reading through a lot of these verses in preparation for tonight, I, I almost feel, as one man said, it's deja vu all over again. And, um, but this is what I feel like the Lord would have us do tonight, and I want to be sensitive to the leading of his spirit. Amen. Praise God. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read two verses of Scripture, and I do think that I've touched on some of them in a few of the previous lessons, and um, even in my lessons on repentance, I've touched on a few of these things, but we're going to try to bring some things together tonight, and I'm telling you now that uh, it, is, it is virtually impossible for me to finish the notes that are in front of me tonight, so I'm not going to try to do that. We're just going to go as far as the Lord will allow us to, and uh, we'll pick up again the next time he lets us uh, come back to this thought. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. The apostle says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, and I have I've pointed out to you many times that the word beseech is an old English word, but the, the original word, Greek word that is used here, is, is literally beg. Now I want, you to, I want you to imagine for a moment that the great apostle Paul, a man that saw so many things, unspeakable things, things that he could not describe, a man that was used to turn uh, Asia Minor upside down, perform many, many miracles under the power of the Holy Ghost, but here he writes that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Now, again, I know you're standing, but let me, just, let me just point a few things out to you tonight. The Apostle Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want to say living. He says it should be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and then he said, this is your reasonable service. It, in other words, the Riggin Revised Version would say, it just makes sense. I mean, this, this just makes sense. What makes sense? What's reasonable that you would give God a living sacrifice? Why is that reasonable? Why does that make sense? Because the one that you're presenting your bodies to as a living sacrifice, that one came and offered himself as a sacrifice. But not just a living sacrifice. You understand? He took on flesh and his sacrifice caused him to die for us. And if he was willing to die for us, it's only reasonable that we should be willing to live for him. I, I think that's a reasonable expectation. I think that's, I think that's more than fair on God's part. He said, I, I died for you. All I want you to do is live for me. Verse 2, then he says, And be not conformed 
to this world. Be not conformed. Time to go into this tonight in detail maybe one of these nights I'll teach on the will of God. But let me just set the record straight tonight. The apostle is not dealing with three different wills. God doesn't have a good will and an acceptable will and a perfect will. In fact, he doesn't have two wills. And I've heard people make that statement. I've I've actually had people say, well, this may not be the perfect will of God, but I believe it's the permissive will of God. Well, I want to know where you find in the scripture that God has some will outside of his perfect will. Because I don't find that. And, and the three terms that are used in verse 2 are no more indicative of three wills than reading about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are indicative of three persons. The term good simply describes his will. His will is good. It's good. Whatever he does, it's always good. Whatever he allows, he'll make sure it works for our good. Isn't that what it said? The will of God is good. His will is good. His will is acceptable. In other words, he's never going to require things as a part of his will that we cannot do. When he presents his will to us, he always makes a way. Maybe I could take an old cliche and, and reword it like this. Where there is his will, there will be a way. It'll always be acceptable, Brother Hilton. Now, whether or not we accept it is another thing, but it's always acceptable. God will never present us with a requirement that is beyond our ability to perform. That's what the word acceptable means. He's giving us an acceptable. His will is perfect. Praise God. So, you know, again, maybe one night I'll teach more in depth. But, but every time I read this verse, I feel this compulsion, compunction, something feel the necessity, the need to try to set the record straight. Because I'm going to tell you what happens. People who believe in a permissive will versus a perfect will, most of the time they tend to pursue what they think is the permissive will of God. What will God permit me to do? Well, God will permit you to do anything you want to do. But that doesn't mean he's going to bless it. I don't want to just seek after something I think is permissible to God. I want to find what God considers to be perfect for my life. Well, all right, I feel a little resistance there, but I'll have to deal with it another night. Hallelujah. I want to, I want to call your attention to um, the first part of verse 2, and that's where we're going to take our title tonight. It is a command from the Apostle Paul. He commands us, be not conformed. Be not conformed. Amen. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment, but that's, that's my title tonight, and, and I feel quite confident this is just part one of what may take me a few weeks finally get through everything that I want to say about this tonight. Would you put your Bibles down and would you pray once again? I do 
appreciate your prayers tonight. God's going to help me through this, and um, I know that he will, and, and so uh, I appreciate your prayers. But let's pray that God will speak to hearts here tonight, and I'm telling you, even in a lesson like this, the Lord can touch somebody, and we could see somebody receive the Holy Ghost before we leave this house tonight. Well, hallelujah. We really could. Amen. Praise God. So let us. Holy Ghost, we pray in Jesus' name. Could we worship him one more time, everybody? Before we're seated tonight, could we worship the Lord? Let's worship him. Come on, let's really lift our voices. Worship the Lord together right now, everybody. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I taught on repentance a few weeks ago, I addressed the fact that every individual is born into this world in a state of sin. And we've got to understand that. We've got to truly have a comprehension of the fact. That it's not that we grow into sinners. We talk about the innocence of a newborn. We talk about, and, and I understand all of that. And to a great degree, that's true. But I want to tell you, even a newborn has within its members that thing called sin. It's there. It's in us. It is in our DNA it goes down to the tiniest molecules of mankind. I'm here to tell you, everybody, I don't care how good they are, everybody is born into this world a sinner. And the nature of mankind is to commit sin. That's our nature. It is what we are bent towards. Uh, again, I know I said some of this in repentance, but stay with me here tonight. As, as I call to steal, or how to cheat, you have to teach them how not to do those things. Because it is in their normal capacity as a human being to lie and steal and cheat. And I'm telling you that as long as we are in these mortal bodies, that propensity, that desire is there. It's in our flesh. Even the Apostle Paul discussed the battle that rages in humanity. Uh, Romans chapter 7, it's a bit of a lengthy reading, but let's, let's hear it tonight. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. For that which I do, I allow not. Now Paul is speaking uh, as a man. He's not talking about the regenerated man. He's not talking about the Holy Ghost-filled man. He's, he is addressing the way it is in our flesh. And he said, that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, For what I would that I do not. That do I not. But what I hate, but what I hate 
That do I. Now listen, he says, I'm telling you that in my humanity, in my flesh, I see things. I know they're wrong. I know I shouldn't do them. But those are the very things my flesh wants to run to. Read. Then I do that which I would not. If then I do what I don't want to do. I consent unto the law that it is good. Then, and, and again, King James makes it a little bit difficult, so bear with me tonight. But what he's saying here when he says I consent to the law that it's good. What he's saying is that what is keeping me from doing some things is that law. I know I can't break the law. Look, when, when I was in college, and I've, I've told this story before, when I was in college, um, a friend of mine was putting a particular lock on his dorm room door, and I looked at it, and I, 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 I kind of laughed, and I said, man, that, that locks are for honest people. Dishonest person will find a way in. I don't care what you put on there. They're going to find a way in if they're dishonest. A lock just helps honest people stay honest. That's what Paul's saying about the law. Without the power of the Holy Ghost, without regeneration, the only thing that keeps us from doing some things is there is this law. Look, we see it when anarchy breaks out in certain communities. Something happens, and all of a sudden you see looting. People go in, bust windows, and start taking things. Why? They know that the law is not around to stop them. Now, I'm telling you, it's not the incident that causes them to loot. It's a problem in their heart. Looting and stealing is in their heart. And the only thing that's kept them from doing it up to that moment is the law. And when they don't have to suffer the consequence of the law, then there's no restraint. That's all Paul's saying. He said, if I do the things I don't want to do, really all I'm doing is testifying it's a good thing we've got a law. Because at least the law keeps me from doing some things. I'm telling you, there are some people that at some point probably would have killed me at some point in my life if they could have done it and gotten by with it. But what kept them from doing it was the consequence of the law. Hello? You understand what I'm saying? The, the law, he said, I consent, it's good because it at least provides some restraint. But our natural tendency is to do the things we know we shouldn't do. Read. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in it. Here's the problem. Sin is my nature. So I'm saying this is wrong. This is bad. I shouldn't do this. And I do it. Why? Because of this nature in me called sin. Sin causes me to do these things. Read. For I know that in me. I know that in me. That is in my and, flesh. And here's where I'm telling you he's not dealing with someone that's been filled with the Holy Ghost. He's just dealing with humanity in general. He said. And I tried to establish some guidelines for someone. And they said, oh, you don't trust me. I said, you're right. I don't trust any flesh. I don't trust my own flesh. That's right. I don't trust my own flesh. I don't trust anybody's flesh. And sometimes the only thing that protects us is when there's law, when there are rules, when there are guidelines, when there are standards. It's the only thing that keeps us sometimes from doing things we know we shouldn't do. Read. 
for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I have... I, I think we skipped part of that. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is, for to will is present with me. I want to do what's right. But how to perform, but how to perform that which is good. Find not. That's what my flesh has got a problem with. My mind tells me this is the right thing to do. But my flesh doesn't always listen to what my mind is saying. All right, now, let's, let's, let's read on. For the good that I would, For the good that I, would I, do not, I, I end up not doing that. But the evil, which I would but the not, evil that I don't want to do is exactly where I end up. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. It comes back to this whole sin nature. Read. I find then a law so then I find a law. When I would do good, would do good evil, is present, with evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of Now, God. he says, I delight in the law of God after, after the, the inward, inward man. man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. It's warring against the law of my mind. Bringing me into captivity, bringing me into captivity to the law of to the sin, law of sin that's in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver, Who me, shall deliver me from the body from of this death? Death. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Now, 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 hang on, hang on. Do you understand what he's just said? He's just painted this, this dichotomy, this, this struggle that exists in every one of us. Oh, garbage all the time. He said it's a war within me. He said, I know. I know spiritually I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I'm telling you, when we talk about this outward man and this carnality, there's a war. There's a war. Every day of my life, there's a war. You hear me? I talked to, I, I went to visit a backslider some years ago and, and it was a relative of mine. I went to talk to them and, 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 you know, I wasn't really getting anywhere. And finally they looked at me and they said, well, you know, here's the problem. Praying has always been easy for you, but it's never been easy for me. I said, no. No, you've got that wrong. It's never been easy for me either. I have to fight my flesh. You think when I go to bed sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning that I want to be up at 5 the next morning? You think my body wants that? Don't you think there's a few times that I have to kick myself and say, Riggin, get up! There's a battle. There's a war. There's a fight. There's a struggle. And he said, who's going to deliver me from all of this? And then we get to the next verse. And he said, I thank let God. me answer my own question. I thank God. Jesus Christ, our Through Lord. Jesus, that's how I'm going to get deliverance from all of this. I can't do it on my own. I can't change myself. I can't turn over a new leaf. I can't just make some kind of, of, a, of a pledge. I, 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 can't, I can't make a resolution that's going to change me. But if I'm going to change, it's going to be through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So he said, with, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. I know what I need to be doing. But he said, with the flesh, if I'm going to follow after my flesh, I'm going to tell you where it's going to lead me every time. It will never lead me down the path God wants to take me. My flesh will never head that direction. That conclusion will never come. What's got to happen is you got to make a conclusion that with his help things are going to change. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't make this change on my own. 
Can I tell you tonight, sitting here in this very congregation are people who used to be bound by nicotine, people who used to be bound by alcohol, people who used to be bound by drugs. You look around and you see smiling faces now and you see folks that are clean and you think, oh, they've been raised in church. Not so, my friend. I'm telling you, the people you're looking at have had to fight a battle with their own flesh. Amen. But I'm going to tell you what they learned. They learned that the power of the Spirit was strong enough to break any chain that was in their life. They learned that God could set them free from any addiction, from any struggle. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't just lay it down and walk away. It's not because they were good people that all of a sudden they started living right, but it's because there's a good God who looked down at them in their despair, found them, cleaned them up, and changed their life completely. Hallelujah. That's why, that's why I've said it so many times. That people tell me, I couldn't live that way. Well, my response is this, I can't either. And there's nobody sitting here who can. Not on our own. But God can. And so we have to let God live this life through us. This is not in the notes, and here I go, brother. Jerome, I told you I'd try to be nice, and I'm being as nice as I can, but i got to do what I feel. So uh, get from me Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is the answer right here, Galatians 2 and 20, is the answer that you're looking for. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the apostle Paul said this. I am crucified I with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Here's what he's saying. The old Saul of Tarsus, the old man that I used to be, the things that I used to do, the man that I described in Romans chapter. King Midas and, and having that Midas touch, you know, and everything he touched turned to gold. Well, I'm going to tell you, with our flesh, it's just the opposite. And everything we touch falls apart. That's the way it is for humanity. Because we've got this sinful touch, and you're not going to fix your life, and you're not going to correct your life. Well, hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you tonight, and I know some folks, some folks, some folks have all the confidence in the world in these 12-step programs and, and uh, you know, they, they, they really believe in them, but, but I've got a major problem with them, and, and the problem is their very root. The root of that program is this. You are what you are, and you'll never change. They all get up and testify, I am Herkimer, and I am an alcoholic. He may not have had a drop in 10 years, but he's going to start out by saying, I am. Not I was, but I am. And they teach them, you'll never change. This is the way you are, and you'll never change. Well, I, you know, if you're going to try to make the change, then I agree. But I'm going to tell you, we've got some folks sitting here that are not recovering alcoholics they are ex-alcoholics they're not recovering drug addicts they are former drug addicts there has been a change Can I get a witness tonight? Is there anybody in this house that's willing to say yeah preacher you're talking about me I didn't make this change on my own I'm not I'm not a recovering whatever. I am a regenerated whatever. Hallelujah. I've been saved from all of that. God took the things I used to love and he's caused me to hate them. He took the things I used to hate and he's put a... What he says. 
Nevertheless, nevertheless, I live. I live now. I was crucified. But I want you to know I'm not dead. I'm alive, obviously, unless it's a ghost writer. Yet not somebody, I. Somebody will get that later on tonight. Anyhow. All right. Yet not I. Yet, he said, I want to tell you, here is why I can say that. I died, and yet I'm alive. Here's how I can say it, because it's not I. But Christ. But it's Christ me. who's living in me. And the life, this is proving exactly what I've been saying for the last 15 minutes or however long. It's been maybe longer than that. Thank God Josh is not here with his timer right now. Um, look, he, he said, it's Christ. It's not I that's living this life. But it's Christ who's living in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here is what Paul said. Paul said exactly what I just said. Paul said, I'm not living this Christian life. I'm not doing this. He's doing it through me. He took up residence in my heart. He's the one that's calling the shots now. He's telling me where to go, how to live. Well, praise God. This is not me. So when you tell me I can't live that Christian life, I say, all right, that's fine. But I want to know something. Can Christ live it? Can Christ live it? Well, that's all you got to do. Let him live it in you. Well, praise God. Let him live it in you. Amen, amen. I, I want him living this life through me. It's when I, it's, it's, it's when I take the wheel that we got problems. <laughs> we shouldn't be asking Jesus to take the wheel when we get in a crisis. He ought to be the one doing the driving anyhow. It's when we get our hands on the wheel that we end up... God shouldn't be the co-pilot. You need to change seats. God ought to be the pilot in your life. And really, you don't even need to be anywhere near the cockpit. You need to get back there where the passengers belong and let him take this thing where he wants it to go. As long as you're trying to guide it, you don't know. You don't know how to navigate the storms that lie ahead. You don't know how to deal with the problems that are coming up. But I can promise you this, my pilot knows. Back to Romans, back to Romans. So, so he, he, said, he said, look, there's this struggle going on. And, and we've, we're just going to have to admit it's there. We're going to have to be willing to confess the fact that it's here. Every day that I wake up, this old flesh of mine wakes up. My carnal nature wakes up. And my carnal nature wants to control the day. It wants to tell me what to do. It wants to tell me where to go. It wants to tell me what to say. It wants to tell me how to respond. My carnal nature wants to run my life. And if it runs my life, it will ruin my life. Did you hear that? If your carnal nature runs your life, then your carnal nature will ruin your life. Well, because when you add I to run, you get ruin, right? <laughs> you put yourself in the middle of that run and you're going to end up with ruin. That's, that's what happens. That's what's going on. 
That's why you're struggling. That's why one day you say, you know, I'm going to do what's right. And the next day you find yourself right back where you always were. It's because you're trying to call the shots. And you don't have the ability to change your nature. And he said, look, doing this, this is not just going to be a matter of you having to deal with bad things throughout your life. It's much more serious than that. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, he says this. For to be carnally, for to be minded, carnally minded is... is, is to be carnally minded is To be spiritually minded is life, and peace. is life and peace. Read. Because, the because here's why. The carnal mind is enmity against, is God. Enmity against God. For it is not subject, it is to, not the subject to the law of God. Neither and neither can. indeed can it be. This is why I'm telling you, you can't just change your mind and all of a sudden start doing right. No, there's something else that's got to change besides just your mind. Because that carnal mind is always going to fight against what God wants. It's not subject to God's law. Well, I could spend some time right there because when you start reading things in the word of God and it says this is what you ought to do and you don't want to do it, There ought to be bells going off. Um, that's my carnal mind speaking right now. Because the carnal mind is not subject, is not submitted to, does not come under the control of the law of God. So the moment we start fighting against God's law, it's a sign that our carnal nature is in control. Because not only is your carnal mind not subject to the law of God, it cannot be subject to the law of God. You can't make your mind subject itself to the law of God. You got to have something happen to that carnal mind. Something else has got to take place. And so... In our text, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, and I've been teaching now for however long, 40 minutes or so, and, and just now getting to our text. So that's why you see we'll not get done with this lesson tonight. But uh, in our text, Romans chapter 12 and verse... If not tonight, in another lesson, but I want you to focus on this Part right now. Be not conformed. But be We'll come back to the rest of it in a few minutes. But but I want to I want to focus on this. Be not conformed. Everyone say conformed. The word conformed in the original language it is a compound word. Do you know what a compound word is? A uh, compound word is like schoolhouse. Schoolhouse is a compound word. You take the word school and the word house, you compound them together, and you make one word that becomes descriptive, right? Blackboard. We don't hardly use those anymore. Chalkboard. Don't use those much anymore, but... But, but the, these are compound words where you're taking two individual terms, you put them together to describe one thing. That's what the word conformed is. It's two separate Greek words that have been blended together to give us one meaning. And, and the first part of this word conformed means an association. It means 
a companionship, a process, a, a resemblance. There's a connection. That's what the first part of this conformed, the, the Greek word. It's, it's, there's a connection. There's a resemblance. There's, there, there's um, a relationship. There's a companionship. There is a process that's going on here. And then the second half of it, the, the other word that was brought into this, simply means the external condition or fashion. So when Paul says don't be conformed, he's saying don't have a, a, an association with or a resemblance to the external fashion. Be not conformed to this world. God's people ought to be non-conformists. See, this is, and, and, and I want to just say this, and then I, I really, I don't want to get into this too much, because if I do, I'll be getting well ahead of myself, but but, but this is the problem that so many people have is that they are comparing themselves to the world. And so, and so if, I'm, if I'm from here to the floor from the world right now in my, in, in, in my walk with God, but the world sinks deeper and I'm still the same distance from the world, I'm also farther from God. I'm still just as far from the world as I was. And unfortunately, that's what some people are trying to do. They're trying to measure themselves against where the world is. I'm not as bad as they are. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is we should not have any association with or resemblance to what this world looks like. That's not just talking about in appearance, though that's a part of it. But it's the way the world responds to things. The way the world looks at things. The way the world deals with things. There ought to be a marked difference between the people of God and the people of this world. That's why he said that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Every day that we live, we are offering to God a sacrifice. I am not going to follow after the direction of this world. I'm not going to do things the way they want them done. I'm not going to have their thought processes. I want to be totally dissociated from the way this world acts. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 17. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Here's what he said. He said, I expect you to be unlike the rest of the world. I don't want you living the way they live, thinking the way they think, speaking the way they speak, or even looking the way they look. I want there to be a clear distinction between those who call themselves my children and those who are not. Well, hallelujah. You know, it's, I don't know why, I don't know why it still amazes me, but, but it, it does amaze me that, you know, I, I can look at pictures of my dad uh, at my age and, and see myself. 
I just, I see it. And, and then I see others. Uh, there, there are some folks that, that um, I knew as kids now are grown. I knew their, their father or their mother, whatever the case would be. And I, I, I look at the parent and, and uh, or I look at the child and I'm saying, you look like your dad. You look like your mom. You, it's just there. It's there. It's what happens when somebody is born. And God says, I'm a holy God. I'm not like this world is. And if you're going to be my child, you ought to look like me. Hallelujah. You're going to be my child. There ought to be a resemblance between us. I, you know, I said it the other day, and, and my, mom, my mom can testify how aggravated I used to get as a young person at my dad because we'd get ready for some long road trip, and, and we'd stop to fill up the car with gas, and he'd come walking out of the gas station with, with um, something to drink. And the reason that aggravated me is because I knew it wasn't going to be long till we'd have to stop, right? So, so it's slowing down this trip. So, so a little while, sure enough, dad's got to stop. So he stops and goes into the gas station and Anybody that's written anywhere with me knows there's no vacancy in my cup holder. It's always full up. There's always a drink there. You know, there's just something about it that it's natural for certain traits Certain habits, even the way a person walks, mannerisms, there are just things that just get passed down. And with him being a holy God, I'm telling you, we ought to have more of his mannerisms and more of his traits than we do the mannerisms and traits of this world. We should not be conformed to this world. Well, hallelujah. There should not be a close association between us and the world. Now, I've got a, I've, I've, my time is up. And I haven't even scratched the surface. I am, I am not even halfway through page two of 11 pages. So we'll, this, this will be a while. Not tonight. I'm getting ready to go ahead and try to close. But let's go back to Romans chapter two, uh, chapter 12 and verse 2. And now let's finish that verse off. Because Paul didn't just give us a negative command. He also gave us a positive command. Right? Um, somebody said it's not enough to curse the darkness. If you're not willing to light a candle. Don't just stand around and talk about how dark it is. If you've got access to a light. And so Paul didn't just say be not conformed. End of discussion. He said I'll tell you what you should be. Let's go back and read it. Romans 12 verse 2. And be not conformed, be to, not this conformed to this world. But be ye what? Transformed. Transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Now, now let's 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 stop here. And again, I'm probably gonna deal with you know the interesting thing about this word transformed. The Greek word, and I know, you know, most most of you sitting here tonight, I, I know, don't know a lot of Greek, and I'm not, I don't 
claim to be a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. But you probably know more Greek than you realize you do. You probably do. Because there's a lot of Greek words that have been brought into our English vocabulary. For instance, the word pharmacy is basically a Greek word that's been transliterated. Greek word pharmakia. There's, there's, there's um, the, the word dynamite is, is really the Greek word dunamis. It, there's a lot of Greek words that we've just kind of changed the letters, made them more anglicized, and, and adopted them into the English language. And so it is with this word transformed. The Greek word here is the Greek equivalent of our English word metamorphosis. Do you know what a metamorphosis is? Do, do, do you understand what happens with a metamorphosis? And I, I know I touched on this when I taught on repentance, but it bears repeating tonight. A metamorphosis is that process that a caterpillar goes through that changes it from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly. It doesn't just go into the closet and get a set of wings. Find some scissors and cut off a few of those legs and say, look, I'm a butterfly. But there's a process that transforms it from what it was to what it was destined to become. A metamorphosis is what a tadpole experiences. starts growing and that tail disappears and legs start growing out of that fish like body and the gills close up and lungs form and all of a sudden even though it was born in the water and it breathed in the water now if you hold that thing underwater it's going to die because it's not what it used to be. It's not a tadpole anymore. It's a frog now. You can't just glue a tail on that frog. Cut a few slits in his side and stick him under the water. Say, all right, you're a tadpole again. Nor can you take that tadpole and sew up his gills and cut off his tail and glue some legs on him and say, now hop around, little frog. No. There's a metamorphosis that has to happen and it changes everything about that creature. It is no longer what it was. It doesn't eat like it did. It doesn't breathe like it did. It doesn't travel like it did. It's been totally transformed. And this is what Paul said. Don't be conformed. But be transformed. There's got to be a spiritual metamorphosis that happens. I was born into sin, but now sin will kill me. I used to live, eat, breathe, drink, sleep, sin, but not anymore. There's something different about me. I hope you're hearing me tonight. This is why we say they're not recovering alcoholics because the alcoholic is what they were as a tadpole, but now there's something altogether different. Now there's been a transformation that has
you hear me? Because we are being changed into his image from glory to glory. I want to tell you what's going on. Every time we get in a good red hot Holy Ghost service, you know what God's doing? God's saying, I'm making you a little bit less like that tadpole and a little bit more like the frog. Every time we get into a good Holy Ghost prayer meeting and we spend time talking in tongues, God is taking out those old gills that used to desire and crave the waters of sin and he's putting some lungs in there to breathe the good Holy Ghost refreshing air that he wants to provide. And the day's going to come when the trumpet sounds and that final transformation is going to take place. And this ugly caterpillar is going to have wings. Amen. I'm going to be able to fly when that day comes. Not because I started getting better on my own, but because God started a process of transformation. God started a process, hallelujah, amen, of metamorphosis in this man. I'm telling you, you go catch that caterpillar and you give him a fling, he's not going to fly. But I'll tell you this, you let him wrap himself in that cocoon for a while, be in there, and then fight, Brother Hilton, fight his way out. And when he finally busts that thing open, Nobody can hold him to the ground then. He's not what he used to be. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to you tonight. Church, this is what has got to happen. Listen to me. I know in the weeks to come, I'm going to be dealing with holiness standards. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of things, but I'm telling you, even in that, don't be conformed even to the church. Did you hear what I said? Don't just adopt the look of the church. But let there be a transformation of you. Amen. That's saying, God, teach me to love what you love and I hate what you hate listen if we love what God loves and hate what God hates there's not a holiness standard anywhere that's going to give us a problem oh hallelujah the only problem is when our carnal mind is still in control but if we will let God put us through a process of metamorphosis Ah, Jesus, help me. My time's up, Sister Beckett, so whether I like it or not, I got to quit. Look, I, I, I also said this when I was teaching on repentance, but it's a good place to throw it in. That's why you can't just take a male and put him through a surgery and call him a female. The surgery didn't change him into a female. Just like, just like sewing legs on a tadpole doesn't turn him into a frog. You are what you are. It's in your DNA. You're either male or female. That's the way God created us. There is no ambiguous gender. What is, I'm, I get so sick of this. I'm seeing it all the time anymore. You go to fill out a form online. What is your gender? Male, female, other. Other? The only other would be confused. But even then, you're either male or you're female. End of discussion. I don't care what surgery you've had. You're still what you were born as. 
And all you've done is conform to something else. And I'm telling you, there's a danger, there's just as much danger for the church to be conformed to the church as there is for us to be conformed to the world. Because we just learn to have the look. We learn the right motions. We learn. And the only way you can become a butterfly is through a metamorphosis. And I'm telling you, that's what God wants to do. I, I'm, I'm preaching to us tonight. And I'm not just preaching to the church. I'm preaching to everybody under the sound of my voice. I'm going to tell you something. You can be what God wants you to be if you'll let God give you a metamorphosis. If you'll quit worrying about trying to conform to the church and let God transform you. Once he transforms you, it changes everything. I'm telling you, it changes everything. Once God performs uh, this transformation in your heart and in your spirit, because it's not just a change of mind, it's a change of heart. It's a change of heart. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. God's got to change our heart. And when he changes our heart, that's why the psalmist, when he committed sin, he, he, he didn't say, God, cleanse my heart. He said, I want you to create a clean one in me. Obviously, the one I've got's not clean, or I wouldn't have done the things that I did. This is obviously a dirty heart. So I want you to create a clean one. I don't want to just conform to clean living. Are you hearing me tonight? I don't want to just conform to clean living. I want a clean heart. And if you'll give me a clean heart, I'll be transformed, and then I will live a clean life. But not because I'm having to try to force this old carnal nature and trying to corral it all the time and trying to fight with it all the time, but there's a new nature that's being developed in me. Now look, no metamorphosis takes place overnight. Right? No metamorphosis just happens overnight. It's a process. It's a process. And it's a process every one of us have got to yield ourselves to and let God start And so don't be conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed. Let's stand tonight. I, I'm, I'm telling you tonight that no matter what you are involved in, no matter what addiction you may feel like you could never give up. I know a God that can set you free from anything because he doesn't just make you conform to what he wants. He transforms you. And when I tell you there are ex-alcoholics here, I'm not talking about people who through a process of weeks cut down and cut down and cut down. When I tell you there are former drug addicts here, I don't mean people who went through rehab. And for six months, they're getting injected with a little bit less at a time and trying to wean their body. I'm talking about one night at an altar. God changing what's on the inside of them. And they get up saying, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. 
I'm not interested. I don't want to go back to that. I hate that now. He's transformed me. I'm not what I used to be. And I'm telling you tonight that no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what you're experiencing, the power of God is strong enough to deliver you from any chain, to set you free from any bondage. The power of God can transform you into something you never dreamed. Night. Whether you're saint or sinner, visitor or member, if you want God to transform you, these altars are open tonight. If you want God to make a change in your life, these altars are open tonight. You come and kneel before him. Just tell him who you are, what you are. Be honest. He knows it anyhow. God, this is what I am and this is what I'm struggling with. And I'm telling you, the power of God can transform you and change you into something much greater than you ever thought you could be. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Come on. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's ask him to change us. Let's ask him to transform us tonight.